Well, we are uh, almost always in series uh, in our teaching, but every once in a while we, we like to throw in kind of a, what I call a one-off, and so this week is, is a one-off. And of all places to, to kind of base a one-off, Genesis might not seem like the most common place, but, but I'm, I'm really excited about what we're talking about today. It's really, really important. A young boy one day decided it was time to ask his parents some tough questions. Uh, you know, kids, if you have kids, they get to be that age where they begin to ask those questions and you begin to fear um, certain questions. Don't worry, it's not the question you might think it is. Um, and so he goes to his dad and he asks, Dad, where do people come from? Not where do babies come from, don't worry. But he asks, where do people come from? And his dad looks at him and says, well, son, we come from apes. And the boy just kind of looks at him because that's a weird answer, right? And so he looks at his dad, and, but it's his dad, so he just shrugs his shoulders and walks into the next room, and in the next room is his mom, and he walks over to his mom, and he repeats the question for her. He says, Mom, where do people come from? And she thinks about it for a moment. She says, well, son, it's kind of hard to explain, but we come from God. He created us. He made us. We're his children. And the little boy looks understandably confused, and he says to his mom, he says, but mom, dad says we come from apes. She said, well, his side of the family does, but my side of the family, not so much. If you ask the average person what the biggest hang-ups are between those of us who believe in God and those who don't, what's the biggest thing that they disagree on or argue on, a good portion of those people would probably say that it's about where we come from. Creation versus evolution, however you want to phrase it. Um, And we could do a whole series about that maybe someday, Um, but my guess is that there will always be a tension between those who believe in a divine creator and those who believe that man evolved from something else, whether that be apes or whatever. And there will always be people who believe that science and faith are, in fact, mutually exclusive. I I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that at all. I believe there's room for for both. I believe they're actually pretty complementary if you get into it. But I do believe the mom from that joke that, you know, we come from God. And I believe what's written in Genesis, our, our, our main verse for the day, Genesis 1, 26, which says this, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. And that hour there, that might be a little confusing. We, we particularly use this, um, this version knowing we would need to explain that. Let, let us make human beings in our image. You know, when Jesus was creating, it, it says in scripture that Jesus was at the right hand of God during creation. You know, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, all one yet separate the Trinity. We could get into that later too. But when he says our, that's what he's referring to. God created a lot of stuff, everything really, in six days as recorded in the book of Genesis. But nothing else that God created was described as being created in any image, let alone in the image of the creator himself. It is, or at least it should be, an honor and a privilege to be something that was created in the image of our creator and of God. And honestly, it's a beautiful thing to think about, that God, the creator of the universe, the creator of the stars in the sky, which are beautiful, even on a bad night, if you can see the stars, they're beautiful, the creator of the lands and the seas, the creator of beautiful mountains and valleys and beaches and open fields and trees and flowers and all of those things, and animals of all kinds, the creator of the duck-billed platypus, for goodness sake. You ever seen one of those? Weird, but cool. That God who created all those things would make us his most special creation. That should mean something to us. And I know that we're his most special creation because no other part of creation was written about in this way. Psalm chapter 139. 
Beginning in verse 13. This is what the psalmist wrote about God. He said, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. And so no offense to cows or trees or flowers or birds or fish, but those kinds of words were never written about those things. But they were written about you and about me. And there are a couple of things that, that it's important for us to understand about our own creation, if you will. The first one is what's described in the Psalms passage, that we were carefully, specifically, and even painstakingly made. This was no accident. This was no result of a science experiment gone wrong or right, depending on how you view it. We were carefully, specifically, and even painstakingly made. I mean, the psalmist uses the, that term, you, you knit me together in my mother's womb. If you've, if you've ever knitted before, that, that is not just a like easy, quick, okay, I'm done knitting. Knitting is a, is a careful process. And if you poke yourself, it's painstaking. To anyone who has ever believed that they were an accident, you, you weren't an accident, you aren't an accident. To anyone who has ever believed something about them was a mistake, that, that's simply not the case. God made you and that should outweigh every other feeling that you have about yourself or opinion that anyone else has about you. I know that sounds great in theory. I do. And nearly impossible in practice, but, but, but it's the truth. It's the absolute truth. It seems to be our natural inclination to think negatively of ourselves first, to, to pick out and magnify our own flaws. And even if we can shake that inclination to look at our own flaws and to figure out what's wrong with ourselves, we seem to live in a world where others aren't afraid to point out and magnify flaws or perceive flaws in other people. And that makes it tough for us to see ourselves as this beautiful creation of God. Because even if we can get out of our own way, we, we still have somebody else ready to point out our flaws. And yet I come back to verse 17 of that song. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. We care too much about what random or not so random people think about us, and yet it's, our, it's God, the creator of the universe, that is described as having uncountable, precious thoughts about us. And so it, it has to matter to us that we were carefully, specifically, and even painstakingly made. And then beyond that, it's just as important, if not as important, to understand we were made for a purpose. We're made for a purpose. It is so easy and so common in this age to wonder what in the world your purpose is. To wonder if you even have a purpose. To wonder if you should have a purpose. To, to hope that you don't have a purpose or even to try to live with no purpose. You've probably met somebody who simply tries to live with no purpose. But whether you want to have a purpose or not, it can be pretty disheartening to live without one. It's the true definition of wandering. I love my kids, and, and most of the time I, I even love having four of them. But I'll admit something to you. But before Jackson could walk, I was glad Lucy was the only, or Kate was the only one that could walk. Before Lucy could walk, I was glad that only Kate and Jackson could walk. And right now, I'm glad that only Kate, Jackson, and Lucy can walk. 
we are already outnumbered, so when Finn starts walking, I don't know what's going to happen. But Jackson and Lucy are both in this phase right now where, where they wander in public. And we don't use leashes or anything, we've never done that. Um, but they'll be right next to us, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're walking on the other side of an aisle, or they're in a, going in a different direction, or trying to go around a corner, not together either, like in two separate directions. And I'm convinced that there's literally no purpose to it for them, except to keep moving. To keep moving. They may get somewhere eventually, but they don't care where or if they ever get there. They just want to wander. That's kind of the phase that they're in. And I'm convinced that today, that's how a lot of people are living their lives. They're moving, sure. And are even moving in a direction, but there's not necessarily a goal in mind. A destination they're striving for. It's simply movement for movement's sake. And I'm just living. I don't really know where I'm going. And when, when that's how you function, you pretty much end up walking in circles. If you have no goal, you'll never reach it. And if you have no purpose, you'll never fulfill it. Because even if you and I, even if we think that we have no purpose, we in fact do because we have a God-given purpose. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Back when he was knitting us together in our mother's womb, back when he was looking on us, having those precious thoughts about us, he knew our purpose. He knew the good things that we were created to do. Our purpose, simply put, is to live our lives for God in his will and to follow Jesus as closely as possible. God has a life for us, but it's our choice whether to follow him or not whether to embrace his purpose for us or not. But we simply can't say that we have no purpose. If we have no purpose, it's because we've ignored God's purpose for us. And then the third thing we need to understand about our creation um, is where we'll actually spend the rest of our study together today, um, is that we were created as a -a one-of-a-kind masterpiece. You and I are different. You are different from every other person in this room, so am I. You're different from every person who's walked through the doors of New Life this morning, so am I. You're different from every person who lives and who has ever lived and whoever will live. We are, we are different in small ways. And how many of you are left-handed? We have any lefties in the room today? You're different than the rest of us, Glenn. I didn't know it's just going to be one person that's left-handed. No, you're good, man. That makes you special, I believe, is what, what that means. Um, I'm, I'm actually, I'm not left-handed, I'm right-handed. I wish that I was ambidextrous. Uh, I actually had a grandmother that was very, very solidly ambidextrous, and just watching her do stuff with both hands, like, you just don't think about it until you see somebody that can write with either hand, or she'd play, like, wiffle ball with us and pitch with either hand, and it was crazy. I have red hair. That makes me different than a lot of people. Um, I'm a a fairly average height person, so I I meet a lot of people who are taller than me. I meet a lot of people who are shorter than me. Those are little things, but they add up to making us very different. And there are more obvious things that make us different as well. Things like age are are a big difference, but maybe aren't as noticeable from person to person. But things like ethnicity and race may come across as more obvious differences between us. And so we're all unique, and I I think we do understand that. But we also constantly compare ourselves to one another, don't we? Like if you meet someone and they remind you of someone else, you can't help but point out, man, you look so much like this person. Some people honestly believe that everyone has a doppelganger. Um, which is basically a double of a living person. You may have heard of that before. Um, While I believe there are similarities between people, even people that strongly resemble one another are still different, but I thought this would be fun, so check these out anyway. Um, I compiled a few of my favorite doppelganger slides. Um, That's Eddie Murphy. That's a dude from like the 1890s. 
that's pretty uncanny, right? Like, it gets better, though. Um, the next one, that is General Douglas MacArthur and Bruce Willis. There's a strong resemblance there. Um, the next one is a young Vladimir Putin and Macaulay Culkin. I mean, yeah, seriously, could definitely be related. Um, next one, that is Nicolas Cage and a Civil War era man who looks a lot like Nicolas Cage. And then probably my favorite one in this run, um, that's where I looked it up to make sure this wasn't just a character that Jimmy Fallon played. That's Mahir Kayan. I don't know who he was. I think he was Turkish, maybe. But I, that's uncanny to me. Um, and I, I would be uh, remiss if I didn't share with you that I also get told that I look like somebody pretty regularly, and so I share this with you. Um, that is Rutledge Wood from, from Top Gear. And people say that I look like him. I guess I see it. I don't know. But, yeah. And so even when we find people who, um, who look a lot alike, and you can definitely take that off the screen if you want to. Um, <laughs> it's going to throw me off. People can look alike, and, and there are still differences. And we know that. I, I have twin nieces, and while as babies, I'll be honest with you, I couldn't tell them apart. I also will admit to you that when they were babies, I didn't try that hard. But now it's really easy to tell them apart because as they've grown up, the differences between them, even identical twins, have become profoundly more obvious, both physically and in countless other ways. And so we are unique. There is no doubt about that. And yet in the world we live in today, a lot of us are more likely to embrace the things that are the same or similar for some of us rather than embracing our differences. We tend to function in groups of people based on on shared interests or other commonality. We tend to live in neighborhoods with people of similar income or similar social status. We go to church mostly with people who in a lot of ways are just like us. We spend our social times with people that look and act and talk pretty much like we do. And by embracing the similarities over the differences, in a lot of ways, we have in fact divided our society. And as we've done that, we've made certain major differences matter more than they ever should. Several of those major differences kind of stand out to me. I just want to kind of mention them quickly here. Um, One I already mentioned is is income. Um, We've made that matter more than it should. It's a difference that we treat as huge. It's very easy to feel better about yourself if you make more money or have more money than someone else. Money unlocks some doors that those with less money can't open. I, I asked my middle school classes this morning, I said, if I said 20 years from now, I wanted you to be able to describe your life as great, what would that take? What would need to happen for you to say my life is great? And in both classes this morning, one of the first things that came up was money. In order for, their life to, for them to see their lives as great, they needed to have plenty, and not just enough money, plenty of money. And so we put a lot of stock in that. Money seems to matter about as much as anything these days. But, but is it fair that it matters that much? Of course not. But we live in a society where it seems that he who has the gold makes the rules, if you will. And, and yet I promise you that that's not how God sees it. And so we've made that a big deal. Another one is race. I don't always want to watch the news, but I can't always help but watch the news. And I feel a responsibility to keep up on it on some level with what's happening in our country and beyond. And race seems to be something that's dividing us again and again. And let me rephrase that very purposely. Uh, We are allowing it to divide us again and again. Honestly, it's it's not one of the biggest differences between us, and yet we allow it to be a huge divider. 
If we could look through the eyes of God, it wouldn't divide us because we are all God's creation. There are no exceptions, and we let something like that divide us. Again, it seems to be part of our human nature to magnify the differences, but that's not how God sees it. The third one is is religious beliefs. And there are a lot of sub-issues that fall into this category. Some Christians really do separate themselves from those who don't follow Jesus. That's absolutely true. Some do. And some treat them all as unclean sinners. I hate to say it, but that's true. Some, Some Christians function that way. Not everybody does, and yet some that don't follow Jesus treat all Christians as if they're all like that, that they're all judgmental, closed-minded, perfect people. And so this divide is absolutely magnified from both sides. That makes it even more of a dangerous division. There's a lot of gross generalization that happens across the lines of religious belief. When you factor in other religions, those that follow Islam, for example, the divide is sometimes even deeper. But again, I am convinced that that is not how God sees us. That he doesn't see us based on our differences. And yet we cling to those differences. Sometimes we cling tightly to those differences. Which is why I believe what Paul writes in Romans 3 is so important for us today. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. Paul writes this, Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not for all, for we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the Scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Those words, no one is righteous, not even one. The idea that all of us, no matter what the differences are, no matter what the similarities are, we are all under the power of sin. But every difference aside, no no matter what it is, put it aside because at the core of everything, No matter the differences between us, we're sinners. In fact, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Even if you've already come to believe in Jesus Christ, that doesn't change the fact that you and I are still sinners, right? Because I definitely didn't turn perfect when I became a Jesus follower. And so then you read on in this passage, Paul continues, obviously the law applies to those to whom it was given, For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can even be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And so we're all sinners. The entire world is guilty before God. And additionally, just, just doing the right thing, just following the law, that's not the answer. That's not what saves us. And yet we divide across that line, don't we? Good people and bad people, those that do the right thing and those that do the wrong thing, those who quickly over become a, overcome a particular sin, and those that get caught up in sin and can't seem to get out of it, we, we divide over those lines. We pass judgment over that line, and yet that's not a fair division. And Paul continues in verse 21, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him 
without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And there it is. Maybe that's the secret to this whole topic. Everyone has sinned. Everyone. We all fall short of the standard of God, and yet we all, every one of us, can be made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And I don't think it was an accident or happenstance that Paul said this phrase there, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. What Paul was often dealing with was Jews and Gentiles not really getting along. And Jews acting like the chosen people. And don't get me wrong, they were long known as God's chosen people, but what Paul's saying here is, listen, the law applies to all, but so does the grace. So does the gift. So does the sacrifice. So he says, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Differences aside. If you can put everything else aside, and I know that's hard in our world, We need to put everything else aside because we're all sinners. We all need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus, and He already did the hard part. He already already went to the cross and died for you and for me and everyone. And in light of that, we have to ask ourselves, do any other differences between us matter? From a human perspective, they sure seem to. But why do we always have to look at things from a human perspective? Truthfully, we don't. We, We don't have to look at it that way. We don't have to look at it the way that everybody else does. We have the option to choose to see this through God's eyes. To have God vision, if you will. It's not easy, but it's an option. And in the eyes of God, we were and we are all worth saving. Worth sacrificing for. And I know that because He already did it. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 24. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. And what you'll notice about that passage of Scripture is that there are no qualifiers, no exclusions, no limitations, no hoops to jump through, no loopholes that exclude certain people. That sacrifice was everyone for everyone who was living, everyone who lived before, and anyone who would come after, which includes you and me and everyone, no exceptions. Here's the bottom line. We spend a lot of our lives living like the differences between us matter. We do. It's apparently a natural part of who we are because we have trouble putting that to rest. We do. And when we do that, when we live that way, what I believe we're doing is focusing very much on ourselves. 
living to make ourselves feel better or more important by comparing ourselves to others in a variety of ways. I believe that's at the heart of what we do. It's a very self-centered way to function. And I believe it's a huge part of what's wrong with our world today. Think about every, every dividing line that's made between people in our world today. They all come back to, to, to one person wanting to feel more important, wanting to feel more accepted, more loved, more valued, whatever, than somebody else. I don't see why that's how we have to look at it. It's a self-centered way to function. And yet listen to what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 5, verse 15 says this, He died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. If, if we live for ourselves, the difference between us and others is going to be hugely important. It's, it's, going to, it's going to come up all the time. It's going to matter to us all the time. If we're living for Jesus, and I mean really truly living for Jesus, and therefore seeing through God's eyes, I believe that it's possible and desirable for those differences to disappear in our sight. Because the truth is this, if we could see through God's eyes, the world would be a much better place. I think each and every one of us struggles to look at people through God's eyes. And I, I legitimately think that could change, change a lot for us if we could figure that out. And I think the problem is we convince ourselves that that's not an option. We say, well, I can't see through God. He's God. Like, he, of course he can see people. Of course he can always see the good in people. Of course he can look past differences. Of course all those things are true. I believe that same God that can see us that way can give us the power to do that ourselves. But I believe it's a choice. A choice to choose how we're going to view people. Each and every one of us. Forgetting all the other details, we're created in the image of God. What matters? Let's pray. God, we are uh, very, very blessed to have been created so specifically by you. As such a, as such a valued part of your creation. God, I, I believe that you created us to, to live in harmony with one another. You look back at Genesis and you look at the Garden of Eden and the way that things were supposed to be. Believe that humans were created to get along, to live as equals. And God, we know that sin is at the heart of what messed that up. And these, these divisions and these differences and all these things, but they didn't, they didn't come into play. They didn't matter. They didn't become true dividing lines between us until sin entered the picture. God, I pray that we wouldn't believe that this is just the way things are. I pray that we wouldn't believe that we have no control over how we view other people. I believe that we, we, we could see past divisions and, and differences and the things that seem to split us up and say, well, why do they have to do that? Whatever it is in us that gets in the way of that, God, whatever it is in me that gets in the way of that, I pray that you would move that out of the way. 
your, your power, your guidance, it's all available for us. And I believe that includes the way that we look at other people, that you can guide us in that, that you can give us your sight. So I pray that you would do that. Guys, we continue in our service as we turn our focus to communion and that cross. I pray that we remember that that sacrifice was for all. No exceptions, no exclusions. Every person who's ever lived, every person who ever will live, that's who you made a sacrifice for with your son on that cross. Help us to focus on that during this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.